Welcome to the PokePress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has two segments. In the first, Anne from PV Podcast talks about the Japanese girl group Perfume and shares a few of their songs she thinks could have worked for Pokemon. Stay tuned after the outro for a preview of the upcoming similar discussion of Australian rock group In Excess. Our second segment is a set of voice actor interviews from Anime Milwaukee 2017, with actors from the main series, movies, and miniseries. If you want to hear more, you can find links to the full press sessions in the episode notes. Thanks. Hi. I'm Stephen Reich here at the PokePress Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm on the phone with Anne from PPP Podcast. And normally in these discussions, we sort of compare the Japanese and English ending themes to a Pokemon movie. But this time, in our break between the original series and advanced generation movies, we decided we would do something a little bit different. So, each of us has chosen one of our favorite bands that has never done a Pokemon song. And we've chosen three songs from that group. Now, Anne, uh, you chose Perfume, which is a Japanese band, or, or girl group, I guess you could say. And uh, I chose In Excess, which, by the way, if you don't know how to spell it, it's I-N-X-S. And uh, they're an Australian rock group that was active mainly in the 80s and 90s. They still sort of exist today, but we'll get more into that later. So, Anne, why don't you go ahead and start us off with Perfume. Uh, can you sort of explain uh, the origins of the band, who the members are, stuff like that? Yes, I can. <laughs> I love this group so much. Uh, so Perfume uh, was started at a sort of a performing arts little school in Hiroshima, the actor school Hiroshima. And like three girls came together, um, Ayaka Nishiwaki, Yuka Kashino, and Yuka Kawashima. And they chose the name Perfume because they all had the the symbol for fragrance in their name. Um, but very quickly, the third Yuka, Kawashima, she left the group. She wanted to focus more on school and, you know, this was a hobby to her. But the other two girls were like super serious about it. So they hijacked a third girl named Ayano Omoto. And the three of them became Perfume and they went by their nicknames, um, for the debut, Kashiyuka, Achan, and Nochi. And by 2000, they had like become a properly established group and were able to, uh, debut a few singles that, you know, never really went anywhere. They were only released in Hiroshima. But after a few years, they moved to Tokyo and kind of became an, an indie artist. They were on the Beehive label and managed by Amuse Incorporated. And they kind of stayed there for several years, just kind of being an unknown indie pop group to the point where like, even after they became on a major label and having a big debut, like a lot of people just didn't really know about them. And they and many of the other artists also on that label just slowly started getting fired and dropped. So it was getting very close to the end. And it was 2007 that they finally started to get a little bit of attention. They released one new single that caught the attention of a woman named Kimura Kaila. She played it a lot on her radio show, and they slowly started getting a little bit more uh, exposure. And then through that, they got picked up for a, a recycling campaign with their latest single, Polyrhythm. And after that, they just exploded. Like, 
that was a uh, really late 2007, like July. And then by the end of the year, they were on the top of all the charts. They were invited to Summer Sonic. By 2008, they were performing at the Budokan. They got invited to Kohaku. 2008, they were performing in stadiums. So they really just started to go up and up, and they've kept going up. And now in 2007, uh, they actually were able to transfer to Universal Music Japan and become an international group. And they started releasing internationally and touring internationally. Um, And I got to see them when they came through their first time in New York. So they're still active now. And it's a very interesting history because, again, they... They were eight years into their career before they did their first live show in a proper building. Um, they came up doing like street performances. And now, even though they're in their very late 20s and kind of well past the age of cute little idol groups, they're, you know, not still selling out stadiums and still touring internationally. Their musical style, you would call it techno pop. It's kind of a, a meld of a lot of different types of influences like the Shibuya K and the dance pop and house music and techno. And they've been lucky enough to work with the same producer, uh, Yasutaka Nakata, the guy who formed Capsule. And they've got the same choreographer, Mikiko, and they've just been able to build a really good team around them so that they can have very complicated dances, very, you know, unique and interesting music and kind of have a consistent musical sound that, you know, as it evolves, everybody kind of goes with the change. And it's it's helped them to kind of, I think, stay relevant and stay on top of the game. And they're, they, they get a lot of respect in the music industry, like getting invited to a lot of things like Summer Sonic and Rock in Japan that a lot of other idol groups don't get to go to um, for specifically their artistry. And like Marty Friedman is also a fan and, you know, he named them the group that had the most influence on Japanese music um, in 2008. He covered Polyrhythm. Polyrhythm got them into the Cars soundtrack. So yeah, they've had a nice little career. Yeah, yeah. If you've seen the Cars 2 movie, you actually have heard one of their songs, I suppose, there in the, I think there's a segment of that movie that takes place in Japan, uh, as it exists in the Cars universe anyway. <laughs> And uh, I did say earlier, Cars 2, not one of the best-regarded Pixar movies, so that song may be one of the best parts of it. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not you love the movie or hate the movie, it, it was a very important movie for their career. And like I said, it got them a lot more exposure in America, and, you know, it got them into the the Cannes Lions Festival and, you know, a lot of other collaborations with OK Go How I met them uh, is that, as I said, around 2007, late 2007 is when they exploded. That's also when I moved to Japan. And I don't want to say that's related, but it is a coincidence. Um, But yeah, like as they were kind of coming up and exploding onto the scene, that's when I was in Japan and watching all my music shows and, you know, seeing them come into the spotlight. And so basically been a fan ever since. In terms of stature within the Japanese music scene, uh, what would you compare them to in sort of the Western music scene? It doesn't have to be the same genre or anything, but I'm just saying in terms of stature and fame and stuff like that. In terms of stature, they are like somewhere around like Beyonce, Lady Gaga. They're on top. They're always number one. But they also have that like lasting 
sensibility to them. Like, you know, not like the flash in the pan, you know, we're really famous for a few years and then we're out. Like they have consistently just been the group that's everybody kind of looks up to all the young idol groups coming up, look up to them, all the techno pop and house music groups look up to them. Even a lot of like the rock bands and singer songwriters look up to perfume because of the work they have done with collaborating and like building their artistic team and their kind of commitment to presentation. Like they're able to do work with other artists that you wouldn't actually think of them being in any genre that could possibly collaborate. Um, but every year they do a sort of concert series where they pick a, one of their favorite artists, whether or not their genres match at all. And they do like a joint concert. And like I said, they're kind of big friends with OK Go right now and doing, you know, some work with them and some collaborations. So yeah, I would, I would put them somewhere up there with like, again, the, the star power of Lady Gaga. And then like, every, everybody kind of acknowledges that like Beyonce is just really good at what she does kind of sense. I would put perfume somewhere in that category. Like, when the Olympics were announced for 2020, everybody was like, is Perfume going to perform? If, if, if Japan is going to show their best to the world, Perfume should be on that list somewhere, kind of a thing. Well, I have a hunch the Olympics will come up again later in this episode <laughs> on the uh, other side of the equation. But in any case, uh, one of the sort of assignments or parts of this discussion was each of us were going to pick three songs from our group and discuss them and sort of we were going to sort of compare what we thought of them so uh first of all why don't you just list the three songs you had and then uh pick one of those and start going into it okay um my three songs were dream fighter one millimeter itimiru um and then mirai no museum which is museum of the future um we'll start with dream fighter um, I'm going to read the first section of lyrics and just tell me if this is not the most Pokemon thing you've ever heard. In order to reach the top, we go on this journey because surely this is the proof of life. Even if reality hits you and you almost fall, keep walking with your eyes forward. And then the first verse is like, hey, when everyone talks about being normal, they probably mean it less as the average, but an ideal. But I've decided that being normal isn't enough for me anymore. So until I get to the point where I'm satisfied with where I am, I keep going to that far, far destination. Like, that just, to me, sounds like Ash and Pikachu, you know, trying to reach their highest possible peak and all the hardships along the way. And, like, even if they're brought down by reality, they keep moving forward. And there's, like, lyrics about, like, even our tears are, like, precious gems no matter what happens, like if, if life tests you, you have the strength to go forward. Just being ordinary is unsatisfying. Everything just screams Ash and Pikachu and their journey to become the very best, like no one ever was. Yeah, the, the way you describe the lyrics gives me a similar vibe to, um, you know, the actual English Pokemon song, uh, Making My Way Any Way That I Can. Doesn't it though? And sort of the, um, attitude there being that whatever, other folks say is sort of the limit we're going to try and get past that and do more than you might think would be possible. Does that sound like a, a fairly apt comparison between those two songs? Yeah, definitely. Just that sense of like, 
Well, the history of this song, it, it was written kind of immediately after that explosion they had with polyrhythm, where, like, again, they were on the edge of being fired and they had, you know, nothing left. And then suddenly they were saved from the abyss. Um, and their producer wrote this song of like, you know, going so long with reality knocking you down and everyone being like, you should just try to be normal or, you know, what is normal? That's the ideal you should shoot for. We're talking about the future, you know, a future that has limits and then just keep on fighting until you overcome that until maybe you find that far, far point where you're satisfied with your life. Yeah, they definitely have similar vibes, those two songs. If you were to use this song as, say, an insert song somewhere in the series, uh, where do you think might be a good place? A specific episode, specific movie, or anything like that? Let's see. Something like Ash winning at the Orange Islands, or, like, you know what? Battle Frontier. I think any point in the Battle Frontier series, because Ash was just at a time in his life where he had come off constantly losing, and now he was winning. And I think season da too, like the mood of that series doesn't really fit the gambare, you know, try your best sort of spirit. But again, that is a series where after getting his, his butt kicked in the competition, Ash won like every Pokemon battle, every tournament he was in the entirety of season da. Like he just consistently kept winning and then goes to Kalos and continues to just keep winning. So I think like that feeling of going so long and struggling so hard and then finally being like, oh, it was worth it. And now I can turn around and encourage other people. I think any point that in the series that has that sort of feeling is a perfect place for this song. All right. Uh, and there's a music video. They do. I think all three of the songs you mentioned have a music video. That's not the case with the songs I chose uh, for my group. But what does the music video for this one kind of involve? Um, it's kind of one of their earlier music videos. So it's mostly just like them dancing, uh, and kind of just singing. There's not a whole lot to it, but they do kind of a very cool, uh, image with jewels and glass and light and the idea of our tears being precious jewels and like changing perspective by looking through the glass that I find really quite cute and and lovely. There were some nice transition effects in that video. Um, so I, I would kind of uh, agree with you there. Yeah, it's, it's kind of one of just, like I said, their earlier previews were almost all just showcasing their dancing. Mm. But yeah, moving on to, let's see, Ichimiru, uh, One Millimeter. This is a really interesting song, um, and I chose it because it's about a person who is trying to, you know, move forward and achieve their dream, but always, you know, is just a little bit short. And I find that really interesting because Ash, as we know, is a character who has tried so hard to move forward in his dream, but has yet to win a regional tournament. He's won competitions, but not a tournament. And there's like some really heartbreaking lyrics here uh, about like, it's so hard chasing after only one thing. Uh, rely on my feelings is what I used to think, but it, it, reality always surpasses my imagination and I fall one millimeter short. 
It's like, like, even after all these years, it's still difficult and it never ends. Like, it's not okay. Why can't I ever get these feelings out of the way? Like, it just keeps repeating. Like, those sorts of lyrics. And it's really interesting because it has the feel of someone who is not going to give up, but they're becoming a little bit... Like, this is the moment after the tournament where he's lost, where he's in his down phase. <laughs> he's moping around and needs Richie to kind of get him to snap out of it sort of song. Mm. So is this sort of, uh, would you, if you had to insert this somewhere in the series, it would be after some of those uh, losses at the uh, the Pokemon League tournaments that we've seen over the years? Yeah, like, I would put this, like, right at that one episode in Indigo where he's, like, moping in his hotel room. Like, I would just make it a montage of him just being emo. <laughs> but but there's a bit of a hopeful sense to it, too. Like, maybe if I go one more verse, I will stop falling one millimeter short. Like, if I keep going, I will get it eventually. And I think that is very much an Ash thing, because, you know, even in his down moments, eventually he decides to pick back up and we'll go through it again. No, I kind of figured that a lot of the songs we'd be picking here would be sort of triumph over adversity type of songs, and this sounds like another one. I did kind of want to mention that this is a case where a song uses a, a metric unit in the title, which is something I sort of want. I've always thought about, you know, like from the second movie, it wouldn't sound nearly as good, to me at least, if the name of the song were The Extra Kilometer. But... um you know, Japan has been on the metric system longer, so maybe that makes more sense there. And obviously, a millimeter is, I think actually that's kind of more appropriate here to have a very small. So maybe if this were an English song, it would have been one inch short or, you know. Maybe. But then again, Canada has also been on the metric system for forever, too. So like until you brought that up, I didn't even think about it. But <laughs> yeah. Well, in the, the the kind of software I work on in my day job, we use a lot of metric stuff because it's it's a, sort of a scientific type of field. So I am kind of used to it there. But it seems like in English songwriting, at least maybe that's just the dominance of America where we still use the British or English imperial system, even though England has been phasing it out for a couple decades. Uh, maybe that's why our, our song titles are still like that. Yeah, maybe. Certainly it's in the, the vernacular of speaking, but... Yeah, there there is something beautiful, though, about, like, one millimeter, like, the smallest increment, whole increment you can get. Yeah, well, certainly one of the smallest perceptible yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, increments <laughs> out there. Well, let's see. How would you describe the sort of the, the musical style, though, of this one? It's a little bit different than, than the other ones, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely got a lot more of the... They're, it, they're definitely in more of their synth phase, but also kind of in the phase where they were using more of their natural vocals. Like Dream Dreamfighter is very um heavily processed and that's part of their thing. But they kind of had a a period with their JPN album and their um what was it level three album where they brought out kind of more of a natural sound out of their voices and you can really distinctly tell who's singing at what time. Um and this song like it's just got this very melancholy synth going with like their very breathy vocals and you can hear their emotion come out through, which is, again is kind of not part of their usual style where they want to kind of sing like robots. That That's part of their image is to kind of have very understated singing and then very dynamic performances. Um, but in this one, like you can hear a lot more of an emotional push through their lyrics, which is very interesting. 
Yeah. Well, how did you, you've listened to it too, right? Like, how did you feel about the, the song? Yeah, I listened to all three of these songs. Uh, I was only able to get uh, sort of a translation for a couple of them. But, um, yeah, the, I, I like the sound in, in each of those. I, I'm probably not as attuned to some of the uh, more subtle genre differences between these songs. So it's it's probably hard for me to, to say some of that. I did want to mention, though, that, like I said, all three of these Perfume songs have a music video. This one has, I think it's like they have some panes of glass that they sort of dance and, and walk around for the course of the video. Oh, yeah. Yeah, The this is kind of part of their career where they started working a lot more with technology in their presentation and um, rhizomatics. And they've got this really interesting sort of displays where they can move them around and everything, but they can project the image with the light, but it only goes like to that one specific spot. Like it's just really lovely effects on the, on the glass and as they're, you know, walking around behind it and doing their various choreography. Um, they, they've done similar things in their concerts too. And like, you really should check it out. It's like, I don't understand entirely how it works, but it's lovely to look at. Yeah, definitely one of the more technically impressive parts of that video when I was watching it was sort of the the camera angles and how they sort of filmed around that uh, set, I guess you would call it. Yeah, they have really interesting PVs because on the one hand, like they sometimes incorporate these really cutting edge technology things. And on other times, it, they almost seem to be making their PVs out of like mirrors and light bulbs. But like they always have something really unique and visually stunning about what they do. So like, again, whether they're going low tech or high tech, they have a very specific vision that they're shooting for. All right. Well, let's talk about that third song, uh, the museum one. I, I'm sorry, the name escapes me exactly what it was. I do remember the video for it quite distinctly, and we'll certainly talk about that. <laughs> but uh, why don't you go into that one? Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, Miraino Museum, um, sort of Museum of Your Future. Um, and this was used for the Doraemon movie, which really got my goat because now that they've done that, they'll probably never do Pokemon. But like, they were just born to do Pokemon. I don't understand. Um, but anyway, uh, the kind of the feel of the song is the idea that the things that are happening in our life right now are one day going to be the things filling our museum in the future. Like in, in the future, if you had a museum about your life, what would be in it would be the stuff that's happening to you right now. So like the photos and the documents and your special memories. So the idea is like live right now as if you want to fill your future museum with something worth seeing. And it's it's a very childish song. Because like I said, it was for the Doraemon movie. And a lot of people have commented that like it's a criticism of the album that released is like this song doesn't really fit on it with the rest of the songs. Like it, it's really cute. It lo uses a lot of very childish language things and and kind of onomatopoeia type things. But the lyrics uh kind of get the feel of let's all go together to this future and like even if you feel that your life right now isn't where you want it to be, in the future you will look back you know, through this museum, and these will become precious memories. And there's a, a line about, like, um, we understood each other, so now we have self-confidence, um, and wonderful adventures are awaiting for us. 
And I, I kind of feel that that's kind of a very Pokemon sort of sentiment, um, especially in the episodes where at the start of Journeys, where Ash is kind of in his room and we see all like his trophies and his his old hat and all the old things that got him to where he is today. And, you know, if you filled a, a museum with mementos of Ash Ketchum's life, like not all of them would have been happy at the time he was going through them. But in the future, your perspective will change. Yeah, I was kind of wondering as I was listening there if you were going to apply this to a specific character. Do you think there might be other characters in the series that this might uh, apply to? I was thinking actually of some of the, uh, maybe this is just part because of the way the music video is structured, some of the research, you know, the professors, even Gary Oak. Oh, yeah. No, that could definitely work for all the, all the professor characters. Tracy, I, I did kind of had a feeling of like movie four, like when Tracy is finding that notebook of Professor Oaks and he's kind of like doing that double take and looking back. It's like, is this what I think it is? Sort of a thing. Like that idea of Professor Oak, especially of, you know, cause he's living in the future and looking back and he, he met Ash when he was a child. Like, it's kind of a fantastical situation, but he is kind of in that position of being able to look back on his life and, you know, did it end up where he wanted it to be? And, you know, all the things that got him to where he is. And he can kind of help the younger generation, you know, make the choices they need so that when they get to his age, they have a, a, a shining museum to look back on kind of thing. But yeah, I think almost all the characters in Pokemon, it kind of fits. Um, and there, there's a lot of, uh, of the movie characters too, who have like, like, was it movie 10 where they have that, um, no, it's not movie 10, it's movie nine where they have the murals and the bracelets and like anything that kind of ties back to the past or has historical significance. When we see that influencing the characters, I think Pokemon is very good about taking those ideas and like how to apply it to your personal life in the modern world. Cause one day your modern life will be the past. I suppose it also speaks to a degree of how we decide what in our life or what in our culture we decide is worth keeping. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the purposes, or I should say functions, of art is that it represents some part of ourselves, and that's also what a museum does. It represents some part of our culture that we thought was important enough to sort of keep around for later. Yeah, like, and it, to speak to that thought, there's um, there's some lyrics here that say, what's not enough? Let's search for it together, sort of a thing. Like, everybody coming together to find what's important and put it in that museum where it can be kept forever. And everybody recognizes that this is something worth keeping and preserving. Oh, okay. Well, let's let's talk about the music video. I think this one definitely has the most um, style uh, going for it. It's 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 pretty much all black and white. It is set in the style of a manga comic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that that music video was bonkers, but I love it. Um, yeah, it opens with like this sort of scientist character, and he's like, he's very unhappy, and he's like, well, what what was the point in my life where everything went wrong? And he kind of calls back to a, an older PV of perfumes where they were all like animatronic robots who discovered the power of love. Look up Spring of Life. It's a delightful. Um, but he brings those robots to life. Um, and they, 
become detectives to help him go find his past self and overcome the things that held him back at that point in his life so that now he is an old man who has regrets. Um, so they, they go and they find little young scientist man, PTA-san, and they help him like defeat a robot and find his self-confidence. And when the music video ends, the old man scientist, like he now has a happy memory, he has confidence, he feels like he's doing good in the world, and his life has become better. Yeah, that is, that is very interesting dynamic there. I did kind of want to mention, though, uh, as far as the... I, I don't read a ton of certainly untranslated manga, but I did notice that like a lot of the sound effects that are represented by by in the drawing are actually in, in, in Roman letters. Is that a common thing in like in, in regular manga? All the speech doubles are in Japanese, of course, but... Right. No, no that's not especially common at all. Um, but I, I do think they were like taking some influence from like, you know, American cartoony sort of styles too. Like, I don't think it was just manga that they were drawing influence from. But yeah, like, no, in a, in a traditional manga that you buy in the store, no, it would have been in Japanese. Yeah. Just kind of curious there. Like I said, I did think it did obviously have a, uh, a definite plot, which not every music video necessarily needs to have. Um, but that that did make it stand out for me uh, stylistically. Yeah, and and if you ever you know do decide to pick up these girls and their music and and kind of become their fans, there are so many little Easter eggs in this music video to earlier stuff they'd done in their career. Like the various ways that they attack the robot is like a callback to a different music video, stuff like that. Sounds like they have a very high attention to detail. They they do, and and that's kind of one of the reasons why I love them. <laughs> Do you know who? Because you know, it's not just the 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 musicians who do this. There's also producers, storyboards. Whenever you do a major music video like this, do they have a, a regular person who does a lot of their music videos with them, or they they do most of their stuff is kind of their choreographer Mikiko. She typically handles a lot of their artistic side as well. Like she directs all their concerts. Um, she often comes up with herself or collaborates with others to kind of find the direction for their music video and helps direct it. I know that they do on most of their music videos have someone else present in their behind the scenes stuff who is also doing directing. So I imagine Mikiko collaborates with him and maybe sometimes switches around who she's working with. So it's possible that for this one, they collaborated with someone else to do like, say, the manga effects and the artistry. But they do have a fairly consistent team, especially in just deciding what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. Well, you know, obviously having you to sort of explain this, since I'm not a native Japanese speaker, and even with, uh, you know, translations, it can be pretty difficult. I think I think you're right about each of these songs. They could each be used in, in a certain place there. I mean, obviously the last one there was already associated with another franchise, and, uh, you know, maybe hopefully someday they do get a chance to do Pokemon, but, you know, you never know. Dreams come true, so... <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts about the group and, and why you like them? Um, if I could close, I would say I kind of feel that the history of the group, like just how many years it took them just to feel like they weren't failures, and then the success that they have now, and the because of those experiences, the connection they have with their audience, and like the gratitude that they show in every performance... There's something about that that 
well, well, it's very touching on its own, but especially when since we're talking about Pokemon, kind of reminds me of the feelings I get through Pokemon. And like again, we I've talked a lot about like Ash and you know all the things he went through to get through to get to who he is now and like that sense of gratitude and that sense of kindness and, you know, being able to finally enjoy success, but all the years of struggle have influenced him. Um, but the Pokemon franchise as a whole, like, you know, starting out, it was not an especially well, well known thing. And like, nobody thought it would be the worldwide phenomenon it is. And it came up a lot quicker than like Perfume's career, but that it's, kind of been able to do good things in the world and be a positive influence despite like you know all the the merchandising and the money juggernaut that it is it's you know been able to be something that kids can look to for positive life lessons and it you know does a lot of charity work and things i i do think that there's a connection there like i i feel that kind of same touching soft vibe through perfume that i do for pokemon Certainly the aspect of being determined and keeping at something is, is present in both of those, uh, both the, uh, the, the Pokemon, you know, games and TV show and all that stuff, as well as Perfume's, uh, career and rise. You know, a lot of folks would have given up, found regular jobs or something like that or, you know, whatever. But they kept at it and they decided that they had enough going for them and they eventually made it, which is really quite impressive. Yeah, and, like, you can find one of the girls, um, Achan, like, you can still find it on YouTube, I think. Like, there's a video of her when she's, like, 15, and it's at that time where they're in Tokyo, and they're independent and underground, and nobody knows. And she's talking about, like, you know, she went home for a family visit and had to come back to Tokyo. And at that time, like, because of where they were in their careers, she want like, she's crying into the webcam talking about how she wanted to get out of the plane while it was still in the air, and and a couple years later, she's referencing that of being like, I'm so happy that, you know, I can stand here today and and have that success. And like, you know, it's it, that sense of like, it's never too late if the thing that you love is important to you to keep trying. Because like, you can hit the lowest of the low, but the things that matter to you are still import- important and are still achievable, even if, you know, they come in not the time frame or the way that you would have thought. And, and that is a very Pokemon sentiment. First up from Anime Milwaukee 2017, we have Lucy and Dodge, who performed roles in both the main Pokemon series and the Origins and Generations miniseries. All right, my name is Stephen Reich. I'm from an organization called PokePress. Just want to get us starters. Uh, how did you two get into voice acting? Do you want to start? Since it's PokePress, I'm here. Well, you guys are both in Pokemon. I'm not in Pokemon. He's more in Pokemon. Actually, it's funny. Coincidentally, uh, Pokemon was actually my first professional animation gig. I, I got into acting through theater in school, and really, as a uh, very introverted, shy child, uh, found a great sort of release uh, and fun in playing characters. So fast forward a number of years, uh, again, I'm doing theater and local school plays and and local uh, production companies, and uh, I discover by chance voice acting through my love of anime when I had the epiphany that there were people who did these voices. 
and I explored that venue and I fell in love with the idea that you could be any one uh, to an extent uh, and it wasn't really limited by your physical appearance, your physical attributes. So I really, I love that and so I, I continued down that road and pursued it as a career and uh, from upstate New York I eventually moved to the city and my first professional gig in New York City was actually a guest role on Pokemon. And it just continued from there. Uh, and it's been a great ride, and I wouldn't be doing anything else. Uh, so, Lucen, this is kind of specifically for you. You've worked on both the miniseries Origins and Generations. You've also done a part as Chili in the main yes. Pokemon series. Uh, what's the production? Are there any significant differences you wanted to share in terms of production? or? Um, I guess in terms of tone, the shows are slightly different. The main series has always had kind of a whimsical, kid-oriented uh, charm to it. And that's not to say the others haven't, but I felt like Pokemon Origins was just a little bit more dramatic, or it had a sort of a harder edge to it almost. I don't know if I would say dark, but uh, there's just something a little bit grittier, just a little bit. So, and then Generations, yeah, Generations was also pretty, and, and at least that episode, I played Silver in Pokemon Generations. And that episode was also pretty, had some kind of dramatic weight to it. So, uh, again, it's still in the world of Pokemon, so there's, there's still you know, a similarity that crosses between all of them, but there are minutia, you know, or differences of tone, and you know, depending on the character you play, obviously Chili's very spunky, and he's out there to, to you know play and uh, and and have a good time. And then Silver's like really like depressed. <laughs> he's really uh, got a chip on his shoulder. And then yeah, Blue is kind of between those. He's kind of cocky and competitive. Uh, yeah, I guess it's it's more in terms for me. It's, it's about finding the, the exact tone, uh, and then where that character falls into that world. Uh, so they're a little bit different. Just a bit. Next, we have Erica Lindbeck, who played Lorelei in Pokemon Generations. Um, I, so I, actually, I uh, lived in North Carolina until I was 18, and then I moved, I, I applied to college and I ended up getting into UCLA for theater. Um, and I'd been doing theater probably since I was eight with a little bit of film sprinkled in there and uh, ended up, yeah, moving out to California to go to UCLA. And I actually wasn't very good at dubbing in the beginning. Like, I really, yeah, I think you only see us, like, being decent at dubbing and then, yeah, beforehand, like, I feel like we all, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, learning, learning how to dub. It's a learning curve And, sure. a, yeah, ADR is, is definitely well, a learning Well, I was skill. amazing. Amazing, at the very did. first. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, so... So um, in the last in the last year, they bring in these professionals, uh, usually UCLA alums, and we happen to have like Nancy Cartwright who voices Bart Simpson. Uh, she graduated from our program. Like Fred Tatashore who voices the Hulk, graduated from our program, and a few other people. Um, another guy named Motion Melvin came in. He does a lot of you know those radio stations like K ninety nine X. Like he does all of those for one one radio station in LA. Um, so they all came in and talked to us, and the more they talked to us the more I realized, oh my gosh, this would be so much fun. I didn't realize that this could be an actual career. And um, I also liked the idea that I could play characters that I didn't necessarily look like. And uh, I ended up contacting one of the guys who came in and talked to us named Richard Tatum, and he, I had him make me a couple demo reels, and uh, he ended up walking me into his agency. 
and then uh, they told me that they'd give me six months, but they, since I wasn't in SAG and I wasn't, I had, I had no credits and I was still in college, they were like, we'll probably we'll give you like a six month trial period, we'll probably drop you, but we'll let you know what you need to work on and that'll be a really good experience for you. Which I was like, great, amazing, because I mean, honestly, yeah, it was it was one of the top VO agencies in, in probably the United States and uh, I was like, there's no way they'd take me, but um, yeah, I just re-upped for three years with them. It's been, yeah, three years, I think. Third, we talked to Vic Mignana, who voiced Keldio in Movie 15. Okay, hi, my name is Steven. I'm from an organization called PokePress. Uh, why don't you start out, how'd you get into voice acting? Hi, Steven. Uh, well, a millennia ago, <laughs> um, I was living and working in Houston, Texas. I'd been acting my entire life, but I found myself living in Houston and working in video and film production, music writing and producing. And uh, I was working with a gentleman one day on a video named John Grimion. And while I was working with John, he said to me one day, you've got a lot of acting experience, don't you? You've done a lot of theater? And I said, yeah, my whole life. He said, you should go and audition for this place here in town called ADV Films. They buy these Japanese animated shows and they dub them into English and they're looking for actors. And I thought, well, that sounds fun. Wasn't interested in how much it paid or whether it paid at all. It was a chance to act and actors like to act. So I went and auditioned. I got cast as Vega in Street Fighter II. That was the first thing I did. And after we recorded it, I thought, well, that was really a fun, weird little one-time thing. <laughs> and uh, a few weeks later, they called me and said, they've got this other show they're working on. I don't even remember what it was. And so I went back and played a role in their next production, and then the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And it just took off from there. It was never anything I expected. It was never anything I strategized. It was literally just an open door, an opportunity, and I kind of haphazardly, innocently stepped through it, having no idea where it would go, and it's turned into my life, my career. Stephen? All right, yeah, thanks. Uh, Follow-up question. Uh, you played the, you did the voice of Keldio in yes. the, uh, the Pokemon movie from a couple years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, how'd you end up getting that part, and what was your approach to the character? Well, you know what? I was so thrilled to be a part of Pokemon. Obviously, that's an iconic anime series that has been, dare I use the word, a gateway drug <laughs> into anime for young kids. As they get older, they get into more, more and more anime when they find out that Pokemon was, was anime. Uh, so I was really thrilled to be a part of Pokemon. Um, I got into it because from doing conventions and meeting other people in the industry. I made friends with people like Lisa Ortiz and Tom Whalen, who was directing Pokemon at the time. And so when this opportunity came up, I jumped at it. Flew up to New York and recorded Keldeo. I played a couple of other roles in the Pokemon series, but Keldeo is the biggest uh, character in the Pokemon universe that I've ever played. My approach to the character was, I don't know that there's a great deal of depth to, you know, or, or uh, planning or, you know, really thinking it through. It was pretty much he's, a, he's an innocent young character desperate to prove himself and he feels kind of 
you know, weak and uh, and unimportant, and he wants to prove that he's worthy and can contribute something. So, it, you know, in that way, it was uh, it was a real thrill to be a part of it. I enjoyed it a lot, a great deal. Finally, we hear from Laura Post, who voiced several characters in the Pokemon miniseries. All right, uh, basic question. My name is Steven. I'm from an organization called PokePress. How'd you get into voice acting? Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> so I really admired voice actors when I was a young girl. I was like six, and I really loved The Little Mermaid, because, you know, who doesn't love The Little Mermaid? And I also realized that Rob Paulson was the voice of both Raphael from the Ninja Turtles and Mighty Max. That was like the first connection I made as a child, that it was the same guy. So I was like, oh my gosh, there's a human, and I want to be that human. But I was like six. So, um, fast forward, my mom was like, that's cool. And she supported me in theater and stuff, but she wasn't like, let's get you an agent and get you started in cartoons. Because one, I was in Chicago, not LA, and we weren't going to move to LA so that a six-year-old could try to be in cartoons. And two, because she wanted me to have a normal childhood. Uh, So I did theater, I did musical theater, and then I sort of was starting to fall out of love with theater when uh, I went to my first anime convention and I was like, oh my gosh, look at all these panels about voiceover. That's what I wanted to do when I was a kid. I'm going to go to these panels just because I think it'll be cool. And after like, well, after one panel, but I went to, I think, four total through the weekend, I was like, I want to be a voice actor and that is what I'm going to do with my life. I'm going to figure this out. And so I went to college, I moved to LA, and I just doggedly pursued it. I uh, took tons of workshops and classes and trained for years and years, got an agent, and somehow finally sort of managed to wriggle my way into the industry. Yes? So you've had a couple roles in relationship to the Pokemon franchise and some of the miniseries that have come out over the last couple years. Uh, how did those come about, and uh, what characters did you play, and what was sort of your approach? Um, I play Red's mom and Marowak in Pokemon Origins, and I play Diantha in Pokemon Generations. And the process was uh, literally, uh, here are auditions from people I've worked with in the past. I, uh, I don't think I auditioned for Red's mom in Origins. I think I auditioned for two other girl characters in the show, and then they were like, hey, we're just going to cast you, it's Red's mom. And so I showed up, and I was like, okay, I've got a feel for the character, and I did it. And then Marowak was really cool, because I got to do like some grunts and also like the ghost version that spoke English, and that was really fun. And I got to scare Lucian, who plays Blue, and that was funny to me, because I'm good friends with Lucian. And then Diantha, again, I think I just got called. They were like, uh, no, no. I auditioned for Diantha. I was wrong. I was sent to auditions for Diantha. I auditioned for the characters. Also, the mom in the last episode of Generations. Yeah, me and moms, man. Uh, I auditioned for both of those characters and fortunately booked them. So, yeah. Did you have any uh, familiarity with the franchise prior to that? Oh, absolutely. I've been watching Pokemon since it like started airing in the United States and playing Pokemon since Pokemon Yellow. So... Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter.
one really weird similarity I wanted to point out is that uh, Pokemon obviously started as a video game series. It turns out NXS had their own video game. I don't mean they had a track in, in Guitar Hero or a song in a Grand Theft Auto game. They had a video game on the Sega CD based on a couple of the songs from their Welcome to Wherever You Are uh, album. And uh, it's one of the Make My Video games. It's not very good, but it does compare on a certain level to Pokemon Channel for the GameCube, and I kind of wanted to mention that, uh, in that both games have limited interactivity, and you watch a lot of pre-recorded video footage. 